we're going to light some candles this morning, so you guys get to light that one and that one and that one. Three candles. One candle each. Share. And Kayla's going to go ahead and read a passage for us. Isaiah 35, 1 through 10, it says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of your God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the the feeble knees. Say to those who are of of a fearful heart, Be strong, do not fear, here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For the water shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fool, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, and singing shall flee away. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Good job, guys. I, I was moved this uh, yesterday when we were at the, um, at the grotto. Uh, Amy was saying that they, the, whole, the whole grotto there, there's like a, it's really amazing. They have this like, carved into the rock, a scene um, uh, of Jesus being taken off the cross. And it's um, a specific moment that in the Catholic Church is a very important moment um, that we don't talk about a lot, uh, but it's a moment when a mother takes her son off the cross uh, and has to deal with that reality. Um, And so I was very moved about that. And that, I think, ties into this whole idea of... um, suffering in a sense, and yet at the same time, life coming out of that suffering. And today we're going to be talking about Mary. Um, And I was not planning on talking about Mary. I was planning on preaching on a different sermon, but this morning uh, I felt like God was saying, nope, we're going to be talking about this today. Um, And it's funny because I used to, I had a buddy who, he served as an associate pastor down in Southern California, and he said that you know, maybe once, maybe twice a month, the pastor would get up and say, I worked on a sermon all week, you know, but I felt like God this morning, he was saying, you got to preach on something else. And so he'd throw out the, you know, and he'd go into the text and preach a new sermon. And he said it was really kind of cool until, until he figured out as the associate pastor that the guy just didn't like to do work during the week. And so he would just not prepare a sermon and then on Sunday morning, you know, he'd get a revelation from God. That is not what's happening here. I want you to know, I enjoy preparing sermons. I really do. Um, and I enjoy study, and I enjoy the diligent hard work of it. But I do feel like occasionally, this is the first time it's happened to me here at this church, so 
A year and a half, hey, you know, not frequent. But I do feel like God was directing me to this passage instead of the passage I was preparing. So we're going to be talking about this this morning. Is that all right with you? Is that okay? All right. Praise God. If it's not all right with you, you can stand up here and preach. But do it later, because I do feel like God is giving us a word here. Um, So we're going to be in Luke today, and we're going to be talking about Mary. And I'm going to read sort of an introduction. Some of you know about the story about Jesus' birth. It's Christmas time. You've seen the Charlie Brown, you know, TV special. You have had children's books read to you. You know the story, basically. And so I'm really going to focus in on one specific part of that story. It's a part that sometimes gets left out. You know, it's not as flashy as the Magi. It's not as inspiring as the shepherds and the angels. And so it kind of gets left out a few, you know, sometimes. So I'm going to kind of focus in on it. And I feel like God is going to speak to us through this. And so we're in Luke 1. And I'm going to read uh, sort of the introduction to the passage I'm going to be looking at. So sit tight. It says this, it says, In the sixth month, in the sixth month, by the sixth month it means, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. If you don't know what that is, just read earlier. Make a little note, mental note, read the rest of Luke 1. Okay? In the sixth month, Luke 1, in the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, a small little town in Galilee, in Israel to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her, and he said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What an introduction, right? Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Wow. Hmm. God always kind of... People, people try to, try to kind of butter me up when they're about to ask me to do something. Have you ever happened to happen to you? Somebody says, oh, I just think you're an amazing cook. And would you mind cooking for us? You know, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What? Hmm. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will never end. Wow. How can this be? Mary said. I am a virgin. Problem number one, right? Forget about David's throne and ruling forever, number one problem is, I'm a virgin, so I'm not sure exactly how you're expecting me to bear a child. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, in the sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. What a message, right? What a message to receive from an angel. Young girl, she's probably 14, 15 years old maybe at the most. A virgin, she's pledged to be married. She's engaged to somebody, which in the ancient ancient world was a pretty significant 
arrangement, right? Elsewhere, we read that when Joseph finds out that she's pregnant, you know, he's got some problems with that, understandably, I think. You know, what happened there? And so he says in Scripture that Joseph is intending on divorcing her. And that doesn't mean they're married. Actually, engagement in the first century was such an important and significant step in your relationship that if you wanted to break off an engagement, you had to actually get a legal divorce. It was a very significant um, relationship moment. Not so much in our culture, but still, it's important. You know, when somebody's engaged and you hear about, oh, the wedding got called off, you know, it's a bit like, ooh, you know. But in the first world, it was a very significant, akin to a divorce. And Mary, so now Mary has this secret, right? Mary's been told by this angel. Nobody else was around, by the way, when Mary gets told by this angel. So her only collaboration that this is the reality, that she is impregnated by the Spirit of God, her only collaboration is God. There's no other people around her who witnessed this or who could vouch for her. Her only collaboration is with God. What a moment of faith for a young girl, unwed, to be with child. Also makes me think, how do we treat unwed women with child in our own culture today? What would happen in some of our churches if Mary had shown up, 15 years old, with pregnant, engaged to be married? Mm. Think about that, brothers, sisters. Think about that. At At the time, Mary got ready, and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth, right? The angel had said, Elizabeth, your cousin who was supposed to be barren, she's now six months pregnant. So Mary says, I gotta go see. Maybe a part of her says, I I just wanna make sure, right? Because maybe if Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy, maybe that will, you know, then I'll know the rest of this could be true as well. So she hurries, she goes and sees Elizabeth and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will carry. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And now we're going to get to the part we're going to talk about. This is Mary's song. Sometimes we call it the Magnificat. It's a, it's a, a moment of joy that Mary is expressing. So we're going to put this up on the screen, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and read through it. This is what Mary says when Elizabeth says, Blessed are you because you have believed that the Lord will do that which he has said he will do. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Let's go back to the first slide there. Mary's calling. 
Mary's calling to bear Jesus, to become at 15 years old a pregnant, unwed girl in her culture, was a heavy calling. It was a hard calling. It was an inconvenient calling. How many of you feel that sometimes the calling of God is inconvenient on your life? Come on, there's got to be somebody else than just me. All right, thank you. The calling of God shows up at inconvenient times. It asks you to do extraordinary things. Things beyond your ability. Things that require a supernatural ability. The calling of God comes into our lives and asks us to step into things that we are not prepared to face. But the Spirit of God empowers us to face those things. Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of Of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. The calling of God is inconvenient to her. But she recognizes that with the assistance of God, that with God's help, that by God lifting her up, that she will be able to fulfill this thing that she does not, in her natural strength, have the ability to perform. So, the first thing I observe about Mary is that when the calling of God comes to her life, she presses in. She presses into it. She doesn't hold back. I wonder how many people have a strong calling on their life, but they hold themselves back because they're afraid of what it might mean to press into that calling. Now, Mary doesn't seem to really... She, she of course, uh, acknowledges God, and she says, yes, let it be done to me as your servant said. But her calling is somewhat passive in the sense that she is impregnated. That baby is growing inside of her. God has put a calling on your life. To what extent are you engaging with it? To what extent are you pressing into it? She went to Elizabeth. She begins to glorify God. All generations will call me blessed, she says. Sometimes when God's call comes to my life, I hold myself back out of fear, out of maybe a fear of disappointment, out of maybe bitterness about things that have occurred in the past. Maybe there's something in me that's unresolved. Sometimes uh, I'm called to repair a relationship I don't really want to repair. Yeah? I know. I know you laugh because I know you know what it feels like. Sometimes there's things I don't want to do, but I'm called to do them. Uh, when I was younger, I was, uh, I remember I, I was driving in the car with my dad, and um, I, I don't remember exactly what prompted the, the conversation, but we were talking about uh, life, and yeah, I, was, I was probably maybe 13 or 14 or something like that. And, uh, and my dad said, so I, and I can't remember a word of anything else we said to each other, but I remember this. He said, Stephen... The definition of a man is somebody who does the important and right thing to do even when it's difficult to do it. And I want to say that, I want to give that to you. But I want to change it. I want to say the definition of a follower of Christ is somebody who does the right and important thing. Somebody who presses into their calling. Somebody who's willing to step out. Somebody who's willing to follow God even when it's difficult to do it. Jesus is walking 
along the Sea of Galilee and he sees a man sitting there in a tax booth and his name's Matthew and Jesus simply says to him, come and follow me. And Matthew stands up. He leaves his business and he follows Jesus. And we sort of romanticize that as as some sort of, oh, you know, how glorious and wonderful that is. But you imagine what it would be like to have a business that you make good money at, uh, a well-respected, in, in the Roman society, a well-respected business, something that you could be very successful in. And when Jesus comes and all he says is, come and follow me. Just those simple words, come and follow me. And you just stand up and follow. You imagine what that cost, Matthew. There's a cost to following Christ. There's a cost to answering the call. And Mary here has considered the cost and she has pressed in. Right? There's no hesitation. There's no, oh, well, can you explain this to my, my fiancé? I'd appreciate it if you would just talk to him as well. Or I need to go ask my mother what this is going to do to the reputation of my family. Or I need to figure out how exactly I'm going to work this out. She has received a call and she's begun to press in. So number one, when God begins to move, Mary begins to press in. She's not afraid of the water. Let's go on. I want to look at verses 51 through 55. Can we go to that? It says, He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Go ahead, next slide there. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. I was, uh, this last week, I got the opportunity on Thursday, I went with um, Seth McRae, uh, is the pastor of the Foursquare Church down in Waldport and Newport. He pastors um, both of those congregations. I got the opportunity to, to ride down with him, and we uh, met with a, a pastor down in Florence, um, and we were just kind of talking about ministry, and we are talking about, um, you know, maybe doing something with men's ministry or something like that. And, but what I really appreciated was the, was the ride. It's like a two-hour ride, um, you know, down there, and so I got to spend a lot of time with Seth, uh, and he's a great guy. He's a He's a good pastor. And we were talking about when he was sort of an associate pastor and, and sort of his formative you know, ministry years, and he was telling me about uh, the pastor that he was serving under, who I don't know his name, and, and that's, that's fine. God, that's probably a good thing. We were talking about this guy, and uh, you know, he's one of these guys that took a church of under 50 and grew it to Several thousand in a very short period of time. You hear about these stories sometimes in ministry. By the way, I don't know who these people are. You know, sometimes I hear about these stories and I'm like, who is that? Is that just made up? Be honest. But no, he's a pastor. He took a small church. He grew it to a very, very large church. And then he fell. And there was a big, dramatic fallout. And I was talking to him and uh, to Seth. And, and Seth said, yeah, he goes, you know, first time we kind of had red flags was when he got up on a Sunday morning, he was preaching, he was drunk while he was preaching. And, and he said, you wouldn't really know it unless you knew him, but if you knew him, you knew. And I was like, ooh. He said, and then things kind of came out, you know, so, you know, different financial and different kinds of things came out. And, and then he was arrested for transporting drugs across the border. 
And I was like, how? Oh, that's incredible. I said, this, guy, this is a guy that you, that you pastor. This is amazing. He said, he said, yeah, well, the kicker really came for it. He got arrested. I mean, when he was in trial, they nailed him again because he ordered a hit on somebody in the Northwest who was going to testify. He goes, oh, my gosh. That's incredible. And so you have this guy who was, you know, so uh, successful according to our standards of church ministry. So successful, uh, but completely destroyed so, so much. And his own personal life fell apart at the seams. And he's in prison right now. Um, God be with him, Lord. Let's uh, do your work in him. But it reminded me, we need to rethink the ways that we think about success in our lives, in our churches, and the people around us. We need to redefine what it means to be successful. All right. What does this verse say? Can we go verse, back to verse 52? What does this verse say? It says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. I'm not interested in a large and quote-unquote successful ministry that has at its core a deficit of character. Because God looks for character. God looks to exalt the humble. And so many times we look at the people around us, we look at the rulers on their thrones, and we say, look at the one that God has blessed. Look at the one that's been blessed by God. Look at this ministry. Look at this church. Look at this person. Look at this personality. Look at the power this person is able to wield. Aren't they blessed by God? He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. The eyes of God are searching throughout this whole world, people. And they're not looking for the people that are rich. And, he's, and the eyes of God are not looking for the people that are successful in the eyes of this world. He's looking for a heart that has been turned towards him. He's looking for a person who has opened their heart up to him. That's what God is seeking. That's what he's looking for. And the more and more we can start to define success as being a follower of Christ. And that means doing the right thing. Doing the godly thing. Following my calling even when it's difficult to do so. The more we can define success as that, the better and better we'll be able to demonstrate the kingdom of God here on earth. We have our own kingdoms, right? We have human kingdoms that we've built up. Whether it's a company, whether it's a nation, whether it's, to be honest, unfortunately, sometimes a church, we have things that we build up, right? That we prop up. This is a wonderful uh, monument to our ability to make money or to our ability to command uh, the military or to our ability to influence people. Those are the things that stand against the kingdom of God. Because they're constructed for the exaltation of humans and not for the exaltation of God. They're exalted out of our own human pride and not out of humility and obedience to Christ. Watch for those things. What are those things in our own lives? Imagine if Mary told this angel, you know, honestly, I got a good life ahead of me. I got something I'm working on here, you know. I got a good marriage. In fact, uh, if you read there, uh, there's a commentator who said that you see a lot talked about Joseph's heritage. 
And one of the reasons he says, perhaps Joseph was actually, at, you know, he had a good job. He was a carpenter. That's a, that's a middle-class position right there. That's, a, that's an up-and-coming. He's got heritage. He's got lineage. He's got a name. He knows where he comes from. Mary, not as much as talked about her family of origin, not as much as talked about her position in society. And some commentaries have kind of looked at that and wondered, is it because Mary's sort of marrying up a bit? She's kind of, she's marrying up. She comes from a humble place, right? He has regarded the humble state of his servant. And she's marrying up. It's like, imagine if Mary told the angel, look, (laughs) you're really screwing things up here for me, you know? I'm, I'm on the cusp of something, right? This could be good for my family. This would be good for me. This would be good for my children. You're calling all that into jeopardy. The calling of God comes to our lives that is sometimes inconvenient. But being a Christ follower means pressing into the calling of God even when it's difficult or hard to do so. And that's exactly what Mary does. Because she acknowledges that it's not about building your own kingdom. It's not about building your own edifice to your own pride. It's not about advancing in society. God bless us. We have spent too much of our lives, too much of our history, even in this own nation, trying to elevate ourselves, trying to climb the social ladder. More money and more power and more uh, ability to move the nations and more self-interest. We've been promoting ourselves and calling it the blessing of God. We've been promoting ourselves and calling it the blessing of God. Somebody climbs on top of other people to reach the top of their company and they say, look how God has blessed me. Let me tell you something. That is a kingdom that is built to the pride of humanity and it will come down. It has to come down. And it may not be today and it may not be tomorrow, but there will come a day when that kingdom will fail. And just like I was preaching about a few weeks ago, you have to decide today what you will invest in. A kingdom of man or a kingdom of God. Are we going to be the kind of people that invest in advancing the kingdom of God in our community? Or are we interested in advancing our own name? That is a challenge to us today. Mary recognizes it's God who exalts. It's God who defines what success is. And so the last thing I want to talk about is here, verse 50. It's in the middle of her song. It says this, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I was speaking uh, a little while ago, must have been uh, a year ago, with uh, a group of pastors down in Los Angeles. We, we were there to talk about diversity in the church. And he, was, he is the head of our uh, Korean pastor cohort. right? So uh, four score pastors who are Korean Americans He's sort of the head of that cohort of pastors. And here I were talking together because um, my, my mom, who's downstairs, uh, but she was a missionary in Korea for uh, a period of time. And so when I was growing up, Korean culture was, at, in terms of food, in terms of some of the things we had around the house, was somewhat integrated. And so I uh, grew up with that sort of... And so he and I were talking, and, and uh, he said, you know... He said, one thing that you uh, European Americans, you white Americans, one thing you white Christians really get well is the love of God. You guys do that really well. He said, I, I, I just appreciate 
how European Americans are able to talk about the love of God and really connect with that. He said, but you know what you guys are missing that Korean Americans have? A sense of the fear of God. You don't understand exactly what it means to fear God. But from a Korean culture, that makes a lot of sense to us. And it was amazing because I, it was sort of a good picture of the, of the reason why we talk about, when we talk about wanting to have many voices from different generations and different groups of people, it's not because we like seeing, oh, there's some brown people here now, that's great. It's because people have a perspective that we're missing. You're right. I, the fear of God, I, I don't really understand. I need to learn how to, I need to learn that. I need somebody to teach me that. I need somebody from a culture where that makes sense, where that makes more sense to come and teach me so I can learn how to fear God. Because what he said was, in our, in our cultures, it's, it's somewhat a, a, a very male, head of household dominated culture in Korea. And so your father is somebody you fear. But your fear of your father doesn't stop you from loving your father. It's a part of the relationship that you have with him. So here, where Mary says, his mercy is extended to those who fear him from generation to generation. I wonder, is it hard sometimes for us to fear God? And it's a challenge to you. It's a challenge to me. How does the fear of God enter into my understanding of God? And this is what I was thinking about uh, this last uh, while I've been thinking about this verse. Um, tigers. Tigers, right? Huge, dominating cat. Uh, predator, top predators, right? And when they charge, right, they kind of crouch, they get ready to pounce. And then when they charge, they roar. And that's sometimes counterintuitive because we think, why roar, right? You're trying to sneak up on an animal. You want to be as quiet as possible for the last minute. That's how lions do it. They sneak up, and they're as quiet as possible for the last second. But a tiger will roar when it comes to charge. And they were trying, scientists were trying to figure this out. Why do tigers roar? And they realized there's about a half a second while that tiger is roaring that their prey is completely paralyzed with fear. Because all of a sudden... Out of nothing comes this flashing orange and black creature roaring. And in fact, they analyzed the roar of a tiger as it attacks a prey. And they found that there's the roar that you hear, and then there's a, 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 a sense, a roar, which is outside of human perception, deep, which actually can go, and you can feel it. You can't hear it, but you can feel it kind of vibrating a bit. And what scientists have kind of discovered is that the combination of the sight of this animal, the sound, and this vibration completely paralyzes. It just dominates the senses of its prey, and it completely paralyzes the animal uh, for a half second or so. And in that half second, that's all that the tiger needs to get close enough to take this animal down. It's an incredible, incredible thing. Um, That's a kind of fear which is paralyzing. That is not the fear of God. That is not the fear of God. The fear of God does not paralyze us. The fear of God doesn't dominate our senses and and wipe us out and make us uh, stop. The fear of God liberates us. Because when I truly fear God, I stop fearing other people. When I fear God more than I fear 
the people around me. It frees me. I can witness to them. I can follow my calling, irregardless of what they say of me, irregardless of what they think of me, irregardless of what they might do to me. My fear is focused on God, so I can lose focus on them. Does that make sense? That's how the fear of God works. And Mary here is operating under that fear. She understands that. And then it allows her, it frees her to press into her calling. And so I want to encourage you today. How, what are the things that God has called you to and how are you pressing into those things? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a person that you need to be talking to. Maybe it's a lifestyle you need to change. Maybe it's a mindset that needs to change. Maybe it's an approach towards other people. Maybe it's forgiveness for yourself. Maybe it's something in your past that you need to let go of. What is the calling that God has put on your heart today? Press into that calling. Allow the fear of God to free you up so that you can push into that. Be like Mary, church. Be like Mary. Push into those callings. Because God is going to give you what you need. He exalts the humble. I was sitting here today, we were uh, worshiping, and, and so many of those songs actually hit onto this message. So many of those same themes were present in worship. And I, you know, I can honestly say, Dave did not know what I was going to preach on today. I gave him a red herring, I gave him the wrong verse, right? But God knew what he was doing. And I was, I was worshiping here this morning, and I was thinking about, what can I say? What can I contribute? And the, the word of God came in and said, Stephen, God exalts the humble. And he brings down rulers off their thrones. I want to tell you, God exalts the humble. And he takes rulers off their thrones. Stop looking to the people around you. Stop comparing yourself. Stop imagining that they have something you don't have. Stop defining success in an ungodly way. God has put a calling on your life that is irrevocable. And your ability to fulfill that calling, doing the right thing, following Christ, is all that matters. That's what matters. So we're going to pray. We're going to seek God for a moment. And Would you pray with me? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I come before you. I'm bringing all of the things that occupy my mind. All the hope that I have in this world. All the strength that I've relied on that didn't come from you. Lord, I'm laying it down today because I know that you alone exalt the humble. So I ask, Lord, that you would come and exalt me in my humble state that I might glorify you. 
And Lord, I pray for every person here, Jesus, that there are hearts here today that maybe you've put a calling on them. Lord, I just, I, I really believe that there are, there's somebody or some people here today that have a calling on their heart and you haven't been able to see that fulfilled in front of you. And you've begun to become discouraged. And you've begun to feel like that calling is never going to come to pass. Redefine success. God has put a calling on your life which is irrevocable. And Jesus is going to fulfill that calling. Follow Christ. Lord, I pray, God, for those hearts, Jesus, that you would come in in your sweet presence, that you would assure them you are a servant of God. You're not a servant to any other person. You're not a servant to an ideal. You're not a servant or a slave to success in a worldly sense. You're not a slave to anything. You are a child of God. And the calling of God that he has put on your heart, Lord, let it be that it would burn deep down inside of them, that they would realize and acknowledge the fact that you are the one who exalts the humble. And through your hand, the mighty are brought down. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be upon our hearts today. And God, if there's others of us today who have held back, who have felt like the calling of God, just like Matthew hears the calling of God, rise up, follow me, and have felt like that was too heavy a calling. And maybe, maybe they've kind of put that off and they've kind of held it at arm's length. But Jesus, I pray today that you would begin to touch their hearts. Lord, begin to call them. Jesus, right now in this moment, we take the time to say, God, I submit myself to you. And Jesus, I'm going to follow you throughout my whole life. Thank you, Jesus.